The Urbanist is brought to you in association with the Department of Culture and Tourism, Abu Dhabi. Sadiat Cultural District Abu Dhabi is a beacon of hope and inspiration. A catalyst to spark growth and collaboration with museums and experiences, where art and science and nature and technology coexist. The belief of Abu Dhabi that culture is the backbone of our society. Stay tuned for a special episode of the show, in which you can hear His Excellency Mohammed Khalifa Al-Mubarak explain exactly why and how Sadiat Cultural District Abu Dhabi is the perfect place to collaborate, create, and innovate. Sadiat Cultural District Abu Dhabi, proud partner of The Urbanist on Monocle Radio. Hello and welcome to The Urbanist, Monaco's program all about the built environment and how to make our cities better places to live in. Standing in for Andrew Talk this week, I'm Carlotta Rabello. Coming up... It's a surprise election and I think it's been a surprise that we're talking about all these issues. And there's like five people running for mayor in the kind of top tier. Any five of those would probably be a pretty good mayor. This week, we turn our focus to Canada's largest city, Toronto, as it gears up for a snap mayoral election on the 26th of June. It's an election that caught the city by surprise when, in February, its long-standing mayor, John Tory, announced his resignation following revelations of an affair with a member of his staff. For many voters, his departure presents an opportunity for change in the city. And that has come to life, both in the urban issues currently being debated by voters right across Toronto, but also in the bewildering number of candidates running for the top job. More than 100 people are vying to be mayor this time around. To explain it all, I'm handing over to Monocle's correspondent in Toronto, Thomas Lewis. So join us over the next 30 minutes here on The Urbanist to find out more about Toronto's upcoming mayoral election. It's only seven months ago that voters in Toronto went to the polls to elect a mayor. Here, and I want to say tonight, thank you everyone who's here and thank you Toronto. I am deeply grateful for the faith and the trust that you've chosen to put in me uh, once again to lead our city for four more years. The winner on election night last October was John Tory, Toronto's then incumbent mayor, who'd held a job for eight years. And here in his victory speech that night, having secured 62% of the vote from a voter turnout, it's worth noting, that struggled to inch towards 30%, he laid out his ambition for another four years, a third term, which, had he completed it, would have made him the longest serving mayor in Toronto's history. But tonight is a great night as we look ahead to a third term, a third term at City Hall with a strong mandate from the people of the city of Toronto. But only four months later, John Tory took to a podium at Toronto City Hall to give a very different kind of statement, one that, it isn't overstating it to say, stunned a city, which had only just voted him back into office. Uh, I want to update uh, Torontonians uh, on a difficult personal matter. During the pandemic, I developed a relationship with an employee in my office in a way that did not meet the standards to which I hold myself as mayor and as a family man. The relationship ended by mutual consent earlier this year. During the course of our relationship some time ago, the employee decided to pursue employment outside City Hall and secured a job elsewhere. 
I recognize that permitting this relationship to develop was a serious error in judgment on my part. It came at a time when Barb, my wife of 40 plus years, and I were enduring many lengthy periods apart while I carried out my responsibilities during the pandemic. As a result, I've decided that I will step down as mayor so that I can take the time to reflect on my mistakes and to do the work of rebuilding the trust of my family. The reason this is such a surprising election is because the quintessential boring white man, which was our previous mayor, John Tory, an establishment man, uh, his name is Tory, he resigned because he had an extramarital affair with a staffer, which surprised everyone. You know, even when there were rumors of this coming out, the story, it's like, I don't think he'll resign. Then he did. Sean McAuliffe is a columnist on City Life in Toronto for the Toronto Star newspaper and the author of the book Frontier City, Toronto on the Verge of Greatness, in which he shadowed candidates in the city's municipal elections in 2014. There were polls that went out as this surprise election started that if Tory was running again, you know, made his mea culpa and said, OK, you get to choose now to keep me or, or get rid of me, he would win. But I'm not terribly surprised about that because name recognition is everything at the municipal level because people don't pay enough attention to it compared to the other levels of government. I mean, people pay low attention to any kind of politics and they pay the lowest to the municipal stuff. So if the name is there and they've seen him on the news channel and it's kind of reasonable, people will kind of check that box. I don't think Tory was like a beloved leader, but he was well-liked, especially like for passive consumers of municipal politics. He was like a reasonable guy who did reasonable things. And he didn't do anything that rocked the boat. He was kind of a steady manager. I mean, these are the perceptions of it. And so his approval rating was high. You know, when he was mayor, he would do things like he opened a pool and he jumped in the pool in his suit. He seemed to genuinely enjoy the job and enjoy the city. I think his politics didn't match that and maybe even undermine that. I've been a critic of Tory, but I would say a reluctant critic of Tory because I think he could have been the best mayor Toronto ever had. He had more political capital than any politician in Canada. And he didn't do anything with it. He didn't do anything really that bold with it. He was like a steady manager. What does he manage? He's managed the decline that we all see. And I think that's the great tragedy of John Tory. That's the tragedy, not that he had an affair. It is what it is. The tragedy is that he could have been this great mayor and he wasn't. our city. That's how it starts, folks. Just like this. Just talk to each other. Tell your neighbors. Tell your friends. Because there's time and opportunity and possibility and hope to turn it around. And we can do it, right? Totally do it. Because we're awesome. This election then has so far served up a jostling array of versions of what change in the city at a mayoral level might look like. I've come to a Rally at Ontario Place, a unique, formerly futuristic public park built into the water of Lake Ontario and opened in the 1970s, which is under threat of redevelopment by Ontario's provincial government. And several of the candidates running for the mayoralty this time around are here to meet voters, their colourful placards dotted among the crowd. But this is just one of an array of issues at play in this election, as the organiser of today's rally, as well as some of those who came to show their support for it, told me. So things are wide open this time. Um, But I also don't know whether people, how engaged people are going to be. I mean, I'm in a bubble where people are very, very engaged because there's many issues that are, it's it's Ontario Place, it's affordable housing, it's transit, you know. 
there's a whole bunch of things that people want to see more action on. We feel that the city has suffered from austerity, that previous mayor led a council that just didn't want to raise taxes, didn't want to keep up with expenses. And so all kinds of things have fallen behind. We have a big deficit. And then COVID made it even worse. So there are huge challenges and we really need some strong, visionary leadership that's prepared to take some risks. The roads are falling apart. The fountains don't work. The bathroom, public bathrooms don't work. It's, it's disgraceful. The city is falling apart. And uh, now I think people, I'm hoping for a larger turnout in this uh, mayoralty race because I think people do see that there's a real chance uh, for improvement. I think to me personally, I don't want to speak on behalf of the whole city, but yeah, I would say that there's a feeling of, you know, we're heading towards privatization and in a lot of fronts. I'm a public educator and I also see a lot of money coming out of public education and into private hands as well. And so um, I would say in the city, but also provincially, I know our local city officials are trying to work against that from what I understand, but yeah. And with this mayoral race going on at the moment, are you feeling, how are you feeling about that? Are you feeling that Toronto is in a good state at the moment or are people energised about wanting to try and change things? I know the people like I talk to are pretty energised about wanting to change things, but there's definitely a sense of apathy. There's been like status quo for quite a long time and not exactly sure with a field that's so large with like over a hundred candidates how to narrow it down (laughs) to the appropriate person so um yeah we'll see what happens i think i think people are ready for change though i've actually been surprised at how many people are excited for it for a change of pace and as alex the teacher we heard from there noted such a large array of issues being mulled over by voters in toronto ahead of this year's election has drawn an unusually large number of candidates who claim that they're the ones to fix them Hello, my name's Chris Langenfeld. I'm one of the 102 people running for Toronto Mayor. Chris is dressed in a neat purple polo shirt, the official colour of his one-man campaign for mayor. He's stationed himself just at the entry point to the rally here at Ontario Place today. And like many of his fellow candidates, who also represent a longer shot at becoming mayor, this is his first foray into electoral politics. I started out as an accountant and uh, got into financial software consulting and uh, software development and installed systems for places like the Hospital for Sick Children and the Ontario Nurses Association and uh, many others here. And that was for about two decades doing that. And I've since uh, the last two decades roughly... uh, doing carpenter and transport truck driver. So uh, needed a change in life, and that's where I ended up. Unfortunately, I don't, didn't see and still don't see any uh, candidates that are trying to actually look after our democracy, and so I kind of feel compelled that I can't expect somebody else to do what I'm not willing to do myself. And I just wonder, is it sort of a lonely, is it a lonely business running for mayor, running for office for the first time? I hate it. It's not my personality. My personality is the exact opposite. But this is the price to have to pay to be able to try and solve the problems. So I just look at it as what I've got to do. And uh, I guess unlike some of the people that uh, really enjoy this, I'm looking forward to doing the actual job and turning around and spending the time listening to people, coming up with the policies to solve the problems. 
So I hope that I'll get the opportunity to actually use those skills to start making things better as opposed to just trying to talk to people about it. I'm, I'm not one that wants to talk about the issues. I want to actually start solving them. Some of the commentary that's been spurred by this mayoral campaign so far has claimed that having such a large number of candidates, the majority of whom aren't likely for one reason or another to make much of a dent in the vote come election day, makes it more difficult for voters to settle on a viable future mayor. To others, however, including for the columnist Sean McAuliffe, it represents something more positive. Toronto election for mayor always has a lot of candidates, but this year is really absurd. There's 102 candidates. You just have to pay a little bit of money and get a few people to sign a, a petition and, and you're in. And 102 is like kind of amazing. Like the ballot kind of went around the internet. Someone had an early ballot and it just looks ridiculous seeing all those names are. But on the other hand, it's like, wow, people are interested in local democracy in one way or the other. Some of those people you probably don't want anywhere near local democracy, but still it kind of signaled that this was a a sort of unique election that a lot more people are going to be invested in it. And I hope that is the case because in the previous election that happened in the fall, there was, I think, a 29% turnout, which is just embarrassingly low. And as somebody who writes about, you know, this stuff and tries to get people energized about it and into the issues and actually kind of like and care about this place, it was actually really depressing. And I kind of (laughs) went into a funk, a kind of selfish funk. I'm just like, what is the point of all this? So I hope that that, as absurd as it is, I hope it has this kind of effect of, well, if all these people people are running, maybe there's something to pay attention to here. Over the past few years, several Canadian cities have elected so-called outsider candidates to lead them. Nahid Nenshi and his successor Jyoti Gondek in Calgary, for example, or Valerie Plant in Montreal. Each broke political expectations via their respective wins. But Toronto rarely elects an outsider. And at the moment, there are five or six well-known names currently atop the opinion polls. We'll assess their prospects in a moment. But in a city that tends to elect mayors that already boast a name recognisable to a majority of the electorate, or that have forged their careers in city politics or in business, might someone from outside that more traditional political pedigree make an impression on voters this time around? If not with an outright win then with a high number of votes come election day that might demonstrate a willingness by some voters to challenge the political norms here. My name is Chloe Brown. I am running to be the mayor of Toronto. I am a policy analyst in my day job. If you really want to affect change, you become a policy analyst to change the rules and guidelines for the rules of engagement. And that's really what brought me to run for mayor because I've been working in policy for 10 years You can be intelligent, you can have all the relationships, but if you're not in the position of a change maker or a decision maker, a lot of those good ideas die on council floor. This is Chloe Brown's second attempt at the mayoralty here in Toronto. She ran in the last election in October 2022. And despite having little name recognition when she entered the race last time around, she came third. And while traditional polling has kept her out of the top six candidates ahead of this election, meaning that she hasn't participated in the scores of mayoral debates that have taken place so far, her campaign has gained significant interest, particularly among younger voters who've consumed and shared her campaign message online. So I'm running for a second time because once again, there are no candidates representing working class people. 
And it's a really big concern to me because our working class has grown considerably over the decades where my parents were working class making 60000 and now working class means you're making 150000 So I really wanted to put my voice forward because the city of Toronto over the past decade has turned from a home into like an investor's haven. And for those reasons, the residents can't live here anymore because all these luxury condos are designed to be flipped. And they're only temporary. A lot of our services are now temporary because they're not designed for longevity. So I'm running to restore balance, bring democracy back for working class citizens, and ultimately confront the disparities that have been created by favoring the executive and management class over the workers. Because with John Tory gone, that means there's an opportunity for new business, new residents. There's an opportunity for better working class representation. And if you're poor, that's really a source of hope. So when it comes to being in the suburbs where there's lower income people, there's hope. As someone who is 32 and a millennial, this is an opportunity to rebuild the entire city so that it's actually modern. One of the biggest issues, in my opinion, is that the planning laws, the programs, the eligibility status, it's all for someone who was born in the 1970s. And it's outdated. Therefore, so many people are being excluded from participating in our city. And this campaign is really about civic education because a lot of people don't know what their rights are. They don't know what order of government does what. And I spend a lot more time just explaining people's rights to the community assets and to the governance system as opposed to being like, vote for Chloe, because they don't even know what they're voting for sometimes. The 70% that do not vote is who I'm really after, because our low voter turnout last year in 2022 was 30% of the voters came out. 70% of people believe no matter what government is in place, their life won't change. And that's what I'm really trying to fight here because democracy is for the people. Do you feel there's an enthusiasm in the air? Is it hard to, or is it hard to stoke people's passions for a vote for mayor this time around? I'm seeing this desire to become more active citizens. And that's what I'm really encouraged by because no matter how this race turns out, people should engage their government regularly. They should call them regularly and hold them accountable because... Democracies decay when politicians are not forced to govern. And that is really where I feel people are starting to understand that they can no longer sit by, let third parties do their role in citizenship. They have to become the nonprofit developer. They have to become the public safety advocate. And this is where, yeah, the energy is different this time. But it's also the same because we already knew that we needed to do these things. It's just believing we are capable now. Hi. Hello. Good morning. Oh, it it ding donged out here. So yeah, I'm sorry you didn't hear me. Sorry about that. Well, to take a pause from the politics of the campaign for a moment, I've come to meet Karen Chappell, director of the School of Cities at the University of Toronto, to assess what kind of city Toronto's next mayor will take the helm of. It's an incredibly vibrant, walkable, diverse city, and that comes through downtown, it comes through in the neighbourhoods, it has great connectivity, great accessibility. It has all the characteristics that planners look for. It has fantastic heritage coupled with 
pretty good new architecture. <laughs> not a, always perfect, but not bad. And it's put together in this sort of creative way that evokes the layers of history. I mean, the great cities in the world give you this kind of landscape of what they were and where they're going. Toronto is actually going through a tremendous amount of construction. And, you know, you hear uh, statistics like there's 300 cranes in the sky right now. And there's also several subway lines under construction, which is really exciting and interesting for a city of, of this age. You have the bus lines and the subway lines and some LRT lines, trolley lines, streetcar lines. It really gives the sense that this is a city on the move. A pun, too, but it's on the move. It's actually going places. It's clearly seeing itself as one of the major global cities, probably in the top 10 list in the future. You know, Canada is one of the fastest growing countries in the world, paralleled only by sub-Saharan Africa. So we're growing super fast. And the city seems to be kind of gearing up for that, which is exciting. Does it feel to you that that sort of level of change that you noted there, that maybe sort of politics or the sort of day-to-day life or, or view that people have of their city maybe gets in the way of, of actually a, a realisation of what's coming down the track? Well, I think, yeah, we are quite obsessed right now with the state of the city. You know, when we saw that this election was going to happen and the urbanists kind of got together at the school cities and chatted as we do and we decided this election is going to be about the state of good repair because that's what people are seeing is crumbling infrastructure and crumbling streets and buses that are coming at a slower headways than before. The candidates have had to kind of keep their focus on that. And, you know, I think most of them are aware and excited about the big picture of change and the big picture of being the global city. And you hear that in the rhetoric of most of the leading candidates. You hear an acknowledgement that we are, you know, going to be welcoming lots of immigrants. And that's why we have to deal with the housing crisis. And and that's why we have to repair our transit and that we have a huge amount of construction and we have to have more if we're going to have affordability. So you, you have that acknowledgement, but it hasn't, we haven't been able to kind of focus on that because of it's sort of right now about holding the hands of Torontonians and letting them know it's going to be okay. It is the second weekend in June and Election Day in Toronto is just over two weeks away. And I've come to one of the city's most popular annual summer street festivals, which takes over a stretch of Dundas Street West in the little Portugal neighbourhood here in Toronto's West End. The streets are lined with stalls selling everything from vintage clothing to candles and to freshly cooked food. There are palm and tarot card readers, DJs mixing their melodies outside the bars, cafes and restaurants and there are amusements that you'd usually find at a fairground where you can win a cuddly toy or two for your efforts but among the stalls this time around are stands for some of the leading candidates for mayor I can see the lime green campaign colours for Anna Bailao a former city councillor of this area who is John Tory's deputy mayor for a time and at the end of my street is the purple tent of the current frontrunner in the race, Olivia Chow, who's dressed in bright red and is busy talking to voters within the flow of festival goers here today. I asked Sean McAuliffe to assess her candidacy so far. 
Olivia Chow is, you could say, Toronto progressive royalty. She was a longtime city councillor, a member of parliament after that. Her late husband, Jack Layton, was the leader of the NDP, the left-wing party, during their greatest success. And she has a long history in different communities. Like She was marching in pride in the late 80s and 90s before any other politician really was in it, and no one would want to talk about it. So she's kind of a beloved figure, but also kind of a beloved figure from another era. So when she put her hat in the ring, there's a bit of grumbling because it's like, why now? And her platform is not exactly visionary. There's not that much there compared to some of the other candidates who have really detailed policies in all sorts of area. And one of the criticisms of Chow is that the campaign is running on her long record and her name recognition, which is good. But I would like to see a little bit more there now. And it feels like the campaign's playing it really safe because they know they have this person who's kind of beloved and people know the name. They know she's like a safe choice unless you're on the right and they think she's going to ruin the city. And that's kind of really interesting to watch the right freak out for once right now. But they're not really putting anything out that's too controversial controversial because it will give them things to attack. So I do wish there was more there. But what did surprise me a bit, the affection for her that came out was even stronger than I would have thought it would be. So the message is, I'm listening very intently. And what we can do is together we can build a city that is more affordable, safer and more caring and everybody feels they belong. And I know we can do it. I'm glad you mentioned... And do you think that, say, this division between sort of the city proper, if you want to call it that, and the, the suburbs, these sort of outer areas, which, like you were saying, often get played off on another, it seems, do you think that will be the strategy, again, for some of the candidates? Do you think that us living here downtown might be surprised come election day to look at where the, say, maybe outer parts of the city voted... Yeah, there's culture war issues that come up with that suburbs versus downtown. And it tends to be around cars, you know, who needs a car to get around and who can, you know, walk around and and take transit a lot easier because our transit system is not as robust as it should be. So we're really seeing that manifest, particularly in the kind of bike lane thing. But also there was other issues like the Gardner Expressway and building more roads and, and those sorts of things that kind of come around with it. She's gotten the endorsement of a few progressive suburban councillors, which is a really kind of good sign, as as well as the fact that those councillors got elected recently in the fall election. So I wonder if in this election we'll see if those divides are as strong as they have been in the past. And people like Rob Ford and his successor, John Tory, kind of played on that a lot. And I wonder if those things will be as strong. So this election will be sort of a bellwether on that issue. Many of the other leading campaigns here have responded to Olivia Chow's dominance in the opinion polls by sharpening their messages to single her out in particular. Mark Saunders, a former police chief, has tweaked his campaign slogan to read Saunders is how you stop Chow. Others, like sitting city councillor Josh Matlow, whose platform is among the most impressive in its details on some of the key policy areas in this election, is betting that more specific policies, with the detailed plans on how to put them into practice, will impress voters more than the broader brush messages of candidates like Chow. Sean McAuliffe again. And so we see strange things, like there's a a councillor named Josh Matlow who is doing okay, but uh, he's kind of middling in the polls right now, who has a very robust progressive 
platform, probably more progressive than, I would say, Olivia Chow's because there's just more there. But he is not a capital P, NDP kind of progressive. He's kind of has liberal sort of centrist roots. And so he doesn't fit in that Toronto box. Before we had Rob Ford 12 years ago, we had David Miller, and he was a kind of traditional progressive mayor. And so maybe that pendulum is swinging back this time. Given that there are so many candidates polling so well among voters, it's clear that change in some form or another is coming to Toronto this election day. And as voters dwell on some of the city's perceived ills and candidates vie for a vision within which to fix them, this feels like one of the more consequential mayoral races here in recent years, where the city's identity is ready to be shaped anew over the next mayoral term. Sean McAuliffe, the columnist, has these closing thoughts. I've actually been quite energized by this election, as cynical as I've become about things, because people are actually talking about Toronto stuff. And we've had almost, it seems like, a debate a day. One day there was three debates. Whereas the last two elections, the sitting mayor, Tory, he hardly did a debate. I think in the fall there was only one debate. So we hardly got to hear from candidates, and there was hardly a way to talk to him about some of these things. And now we're just, like, talking about everything. And sometimes it's funny, and sometimes it's frustrating. But it's kind of generated, I think, sort of an excitement about Toronto and its future and its direction. It's a surprise election and I think it's been a surprise that we're talking about all these issues. And there's like five people running for mayor in the kind of top tier. Any five of those would probably be a pretty good mayor. So like that's remarkable that even though you know we all have our choices and there's things I grumble about certain people and whatever, whatever, there's still like a bunch of really good candidates and they're all kind of vying to win. And I think that's a really good sign. We talked at the beginning about the 102 people in total, but there's still like having five or six good candidates, reasonable candidates that would not, you know, set the city on fire. And maybe that's a little cynical to say, but that's a good thing. So I think this surprise election has been surprisingly good and positive. For Monocle in Toronto, I'm Thomas Lewis. That's all for this week's episode of The Urbanist. For more from the world of urbanism, sign up to the podcast to get new episodes every week and subscribe to Monocle magazine at monocle.com. Today's show was produced by myself, Carlotta Rabello, and also by David Stevens. And David also edited the show. To play you out this week, here's Toronto's own Ostra with Utopia. Thank you for listening, City Lovers. <laughs> <laughs>